0: Hey, good morning. How's everybody? Oh, good, good. Come on. Hey, I want to welcome both of our campuses, Noonan and LaGrange. Can you guys give each other a big round of applause this morning? If you're worshiping with us online through Facebook Live, I want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here for week two of our series called Overcomer. I want you to touch the person next to you and say, you are an overcomer. Okay, do that real quick. You are an overcomer. You say, how in the world am I an overcomer? Listen, you overcame your alarm clock to get here today. Can I get an amen? Anybody struggle just to overcome their alarm clock at times, right? I've been known to set four and five alarms just to make sure that I get up on time in the morning. But uh, you overcame your alarm clock. You're here this morning. And, and let me say this. This is a great series if you're a Tennessee volunteer fan. Just saying. People come, up People come up to me during college football and say, quit hating on my team. I'm not hating on your team. I'm just trying to get sermon material up here, Okay. So uh, I'm glad that you're here today. If your team won, congratulations. If your team didn't win, just remember, you're still an overcomer, okay, even though your team is not. So glad that you're here today. We're going to have a great time week two. If you have your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Gospel of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? So get to the third gospel, turn there real quick. In our series last week, we talked about the lies of labels, We have to overcome some lies of labels, and the labels people put on our lives, but most importantly, the labels we put on our own lives, right? We're really good at mislabeling our own lives, and when we do that, we struggle to overcome. So we talked about tearing off the labels, so I just want to ask, did anyone go to a friend's house or a local Walmart or Target and tear any labels this week, okay? That's why you may not be here today. In fact, if you're watching from the prison cell today for ripping the label... Off of the, the pillow, I want to welcome you, okay? We're going to start a prison ministry because of you. And so uh, I'm glad you're here. I was at the Walmart the other day. I like how I refer to that, the Walmart. I was at the Walmart the other day, and I saw a whole bin of pillows. And I walked by, and, it was, and the labels were sticking out. It's all I could do to just not tear a label off. But if we're going to overcome, we've got to tear the labels. Remember what I said? Jesus has the power to tear the labels off of our life, just like he did with the adulterous woman. But today, I want to talk to you about how we've got to overcome apathy in our life. Anybody here ever feel apathetic about things? I mean, think about it. We have a 24-hour news source. We have 24-hour social media feeds. It's easy to become aware of all the problems in our world. But if we're not careful, we will become apathetic to the things going on in our world. I mean, think about it this way. You see all of this coverage. You see all of these things. I saw someone post the other day. They said, man, I am totally like blown away by all the Hurricane Irma coverage. They had sat in front of their television for two straight days watching TV. I don't know about you. I'd be depressed if I did that. Uh, Lots of coverage. We have more information. And if we're not careful, the information doesn't make us better. It can actually desensitize us and make us numb. I've heard so much coverage about a lot of things in the last couple of days that I think, wow, am I better because of what I know or am I numb to what I know? Every person in this room, every person at Noonan and LaGrange, you're going to have to overcome apathy in your life. And we're going to talk about that today. Why? Even as Christ followers, we can be passionate about a lot of things. And if we're not careful, we're passionate about so many things that we're not even passionate about the right things. And so even as Christians, we struggle with that. How do we become more aware of what's going on in our world and yet not become more apathetic? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How do we overcome, how do we confront the epidemic of apathy? Now listen, if you're listening to my message and you're the person that's already said in their mind, oh, I'm tuning him out, I don't need to hear this, I'm preaching to you today. Because you've already shown your apathy. I don't need to hear this. The person beside me needs to hear this. But I no, you need to hear this today. This message is for you. So look at the person beside you today. He's talking to you, okay? He's talking to you. Why do we struggle so much with apathy if we have so much information in our world? Well, first of all, we got to realize this. We are a part of a generation that's been there, done that. Been there, done that. Ever been to a really good vacation spot and you loved it? It's like, oh, that's my favorite vacation spot. So you went back the next year and then you went back the next year and you went back the next year and suddenly it's no longer your favorite vacation spot. Why? Because the magic's over, right? It's no longer fun anymore. Like some of you didn't grow up around Destin, Florida and Panama City Beach. So like I'm a Midwestern boy. Every time I still go down to the Emerald Shore, I get excited. Some of you like, yeah, we're just going down to Destin for the weekend. You're desensitized to it. You've been there and you've done that. That's, that's the struggle we have in our generation with apathy. And if we're not careful, we will let that make us jaded. Let me tell you why else we struggle. We live in a world of selfies. We have a very selfie generation. Hey, look at me, watch me. And if we're not careful, our focus is so much on ourselves that we become apathetic to a lot of things around us. It's kind of like the woman I talked to not long ago. She was uh, raising money for a cause and and listening to her, and she believed that her cause was the greatest cause on the planet. And we're that way. We're so me-driven that we think whatever thing we are most passionate about, everyone else should be equally passionate about what we are passionate about. And I just want to say, I'm not passionate about rescuing kittens. You say, you don't understand. The population of kittens will go down if we don't... No, it's okay. Okay? maybe a healthy thing. (laughs) But I want to say this to you today. We get to the point where we become apathetic because we think it's about us. See, I think in our world there's this 50-cent word that you don't always hear a whole lot, but we struggle with it. It's called altruistic narcissism. Everyone say altruistic. Narcissism. Okay, you say, wow, that is a big honking word. Yes, yeah, that's a big honking word. Here's why. A lot of us in America, we struggle with altruistic narcissism. What does that say? Altruistic narcissism basically says this, that we do for others in order to be able to proclaim it to others or to feel self-important. Altruism, we want to do good to others so that we can focus on our self. It's kind of like that old analogy. You remember the analogy? If a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it, did it make a sound? Remember that deep theological, philosophical question? If someone does something good and you're not able to post it on Facebook and people don't give you praise for it, was it really good? I'm just saying. That is what we struggle with in our world. That's why we struggle with apathy because all of us and sometimes in our life, we struggle through altruistic narcissism. So we're gonna talk about how to overcome the epidemic of apathy in our world. Why? Why do we have to overcome this? Because we're the most informed generation of any generation before us. And yet we struggle most with apathy. Why wouldn't it be the other way around? that because of the internet and because of social media and because of 24-hour news service and why are we not the most passionate caring we're going to talk about that today how do we overcome this Luke chapter 10 turn in your bible there if you haven't already Jesus decided he would answer a question from a religious man a man who wanted to ask him a question For a very specific reason. Many times people would come ask Jesus questions, not because they really wanted to know the answer, but because they wanted to know what Jesus would say so they could point fingers at him, remember, and say, yeah, I told you you're crazy. And this was one of those moments in scriptures. In fact, the Bible says this man was an expert in the law. He was an expert lawyer okay? And he was so good at the law. Remember, they had over 600 laws as Jewish people. He was so good at the law, he came to Jesus and said, I think I will stump Jesus by asking him this question, and I will get him to the place of getting what I want out of this question. Have you noticed that when we don't get what we want out of our questions, we ask other questions? We keep questioning things to death till there's no more question left, because maybe sometimes we really don't want the answer that Jesus wants to give us. But the man asked Jesus anyway. And let me just say, if you ask Jesus a question, you're going to get a Jesus answer. So look, he asked Jesus a question. He said, hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? He wasn't asking this question because he really wanted to know the way to eternal life. He was asking this question to see if Jesus would say, yeah, believe in me, follow me but he asked this question and it was loaded. And here's what he's really asking Jesus. Same question we ask in our life. What is the least I must do to get what I want? Does that not sound like our generation? What is the least amount of work I have to put into something to get the desired results that I want? Listen, this is why some of you buy an expensive cream off of the internet thinking you're going to lose 30 pounds. I'm just saying. He goes to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to get into heaven? What is the least amount that I've got to do to make it in, to make it pass?" Like I've been in church long enough. I've been in ministry now for 30 years. and, And I hear people ask this question all the time. How much do I have to go to church to really be right with God? How much do I have to serve so that God will... Really honor me. How much do I have to give? How little do I have to give? J- Jesus heard the same voice come from this man. Does that not sound apathetic? He's like, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's kind of like walking into your professor in college and saying, Listen, this is going to be difficult for you and for me, so what do I have to do to get a C? <laughs> lots of c christians today in our world lots of c people i just want average and so i love jesus because this is the way jesus would handle this jesus answered his question with a question and he says this jesus says what does the law say the guy says what do i have to do Jesus says, What does the law say? He had 600 laws he would have memorized, probably. And the expert looks back at Jesus and he says these words in Luke 10. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus looks back at the man and he says, You're right. Just do that and you'll live. But see, Jesus knew he wasn't asking questions because he really wanted to know the answer. He was asking questions because he was exposing his apathy. The Bible says that when Jesus said this, he said, you're right, do this and you'll live. The man wanted to justify himself. Hey, I got to put a good front here in front of Jesus because I don't want him to think that I'm apathetic like I know that I'm apathetic. So he asked Jesus... And who is my neighbor? (laughs) In other words, Jesus, who do I have to love? Have you ever thought about all the have-tos in life? Who do I have to love? Who do I have to care for? And Jesus is like, you got it all wrong. It's not important who your neighbor is. It's important that you become the right neighbor. Jesus was real quick. And so what Jesus did here was genius. He begins to tell a story of a man who traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho, and this stretch of highway from the elevation of Jericho down to, or excuse me, the elevation of Jerusalem down to Jericho was a 17-mile road, a 17-mile road. Jesus uses this story to illustrate the condition of the man's apathy in his heart. And he does the same for us, because when we read this, it kind of exposes our heart a little bit. You see, what was so treacherous about this road? This was a road that robbers and thieves and other people would hang out. This was, this was like the worst place in Atlanta on Saturday night at 2 a.m. to be. You know what I'm talking about? It's the hood, Jesus said, I want to tell you this story about this man who traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho. In fact, they called this road the way of the blood because many people that traveled it were beaten and robbed over and over again. It was a dangerous place to be. So Jesus tells this story, John 10 verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Everyone say, passed by. He passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Two religious men, a priest. He would have served God in the temple. He would have known the law. He would have known everything that God required of him. Not only that, a Levite who was an attendant in the temple. Their inheritance was from God, so they didn't really have a land of their own, but the Levites were like the assistants to the priest in the temple. Two very close people to the presence of God. And the Bible says on this road, they just passed by. Think about that. They just passed by. They basically made a decision to say, mm, "I'm just going to walk on here." See, I think in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, this is one of the most telling passages of imagery towards apathy. Jesus told this for a reason because there's a part of us, if we're not careful, we got to put our apathy in check. We got to overcome apathy in our lives all the time. It's a constant struggle. I go through seasons of my life where I'm like, I'm just apathetic about that. Listen, I am apathetic about paying taxes. Can I just say amen? I'm apathetic about certain things. But Jesus said this story gave a picture of apathy. See, in our world, we kind of say it this way. We say, well, I'm not apathetic, but I see a situation going on in the world, and here's what we say. That's not my problem. That's somebody else's problem. And what do we do? We blame the government, we blame this person, and we blame that. Well, they should fix that. They should do this, they should do that. Well, we're gonna talk about they next week, but let me say this. We can't just say, it's not my problem. Or, Or worse than that, we say, well, it's not my job. How many of you have ever heard someone say, that's not my job? Listen, this is what it looks like spiritually when we live in apathy and just say, that's not my job, okay? It looks a lot like this. Now, I don't know who the G-dot worker was that did this. But imagine, he got out the little striper and said, today we're going to finish this road. And, and that poor woodchuck, I don't know how much wood the woodchuck chucked, but he chucked a lot of wood to end up like that. Okay? So he's in the middle of the road, he's dead, and he said, oh, man, I don't, I don't work on the, the street-sweeping crew. That's not my job. And that's not my problem. I'll just spray right over that thing. This is what it looks like in our life when we live lives of apathy. We say things like this, it's not worth the effort. It's gonna cost me too much if I do that. I hear people say, that's too much risk if I do that. And Jesus was like, man, what greater risk is there than to care for somebody? So many times our apathy just causes us to pass on by. So I started thinking, why do we struggle to care like Jesus said we should care? Some of them are common. You're going to know what I'm talking about. Here's the first reason why we struggle to care like Jesus cares. TMI. Everyone say TMI. TMI. Some of you suffer from this greatly. If you are a girl here today, you don't struggle as deeply with TMI as guys do. Let me tell you why. Women are very specific. details, right? Like a woman can spend 30 minutes telling a story that can be told in two minutes and enjoy every second of it. It's not bad. You're gifted that way. It's really good if you're filling out a police report. But other than that, it's a struggle. And for guys, listen, women are specific and guys are what? We're global. We, the house is burning. I got gotcha. you. A woman could say, there's smoke, I see sparks, there's an orange tint coming from a window. You know, they're giving, and guys are like, oh, the house is burning. Okay, that's good. It's not that we're bad, but listen, in our society, whether you're male or female, we all struggle with TMI. Too much information. Too much information. The volume of information around us is overwhelming. Overwhelming. I mean, I went on a feed the other day. I was just on my Twitter feed for a few minutes, and here's what it said There was a hurricane in Florida. There was a hurricane in Georgia. The Senate's voting on this. The House is voting on this. The new iPhone 8's coming out. There was a dog that was rescued by this man in Texas from the waters of the hurricane down in Texas. A guy set up a GoFundMe account for someone who needs a transplant. And by the way, the pumpkin spice latte is back at Starbucks. How in the world am I supposed to process all that? (laughs) TMI. It doesn't make us better. If we're not careful, it makes us more apathetic. We have to be careful because one of the reasons we struggle to love like Jesus loved is we care about too many things. And let me say this. We have way too many options. We have way too many options. Options stress us out. Option A, option B. And I know people that are like, oh, I want more options. I love paying for channels I never use on cable. That's a great thing for me. Okay, bless your heart. Options don't always make us less apathetic. They can actually make us more. Here's another reason why we struggle to care the way Jesus cared. We don't believe we can make a difference. We have somehow bought into the line that we only have so little to give and so little that it means that somehow we don't think we can make a difference. And let me say this, it's hard to care a lot about something if you feel helpless to change it. So all of this big information that comes to us leaves us at a place and say, what in the world can I do? We want to do something but we never get off dead center. And so what happens at that point is unbelief kicks into our life. And when unbelief kicks in, suddenly we are convinced and we've convinced ourselves we can't do it. Once unbelief settles in, then fear takes over. We gotta resist this. We gotta resist this. If we're gonna love like Jesus loved, we gotta believe that we can make a difference. Here's the other reason. We are blessed and cursed with comfort. Everyone say blessed. How many wants to be blessed in here today? Raise your hand, okay? You're a fool if you don't want to raise your hand. I pity the fool, okay? We are blessed and cursed with comfort. Blessed and cursed. Think about it. You can go online now and you can order a pair of shoes and they'll be at your house within two hours within Amazon Prime now. The other day I was driving down the road and said, I want to order a pizza. I went on an app. And I audaciously ordered whatever toppings I wanted, and it was at my house. Wanted a coffee the other day. I ordered it on the Starbucks app. It was waiting for me with my name on the side with a little green thing on the top so that it wouldn't get cold. We are blessed and cursed with comfort. And it's struggling for us. And here's why. Because if we're not careful, we're so blessed with comfort, that is actually a curse in our life. We fall apart when our expectations aren't met. Let me give you an example, okay? The other two weeks ago, right before the hurricane, I think it was the Friday that the hurricane was coming in, all of Atlanta was going crazy. So my wife and I said, Well, if, if this is it, we should drive up to the local Chewy's Tex Mex restaurant and have our last meal before the hurricane. And so we drove up to North Atlanta, and right next to the Chewy's Tex Mex that we go to all the time, there is a Costco okay? Costco. Okay, that, that could be a bad name after I tell you this story. And so we pull in right off of the road, the main road, and there's a right turn lane, and it shoots out two ways. One way goes into Chewy's Mexican Food. The other one goes up to the Costco. And then there's a left-hand turn lane that you turn on, and it turns right into a gas station. So I turn right onto the road that goes up to Costco, up to Chewy's, and I notice it's about 50 million deep. And the first thought I had in my mind is, honey, all these people are going for (laughs) Tex-Mex. No, man, they're going to Costco for bottled water and toilet paper and peanut butter and (laughs) Pop-Tarts. So I get in line and I'm waiting, I'm waiting. All of a sudden, I start noticing that two or three people zoom by me on the left, which is a left-hand turn lane, and start cutting in front of the people in front of me in the line to turn into the Mexican food restaurant, which is a little problem for me. I've read the, the driving manual for Georgia. It says if it's a left-hand turn lane, you should turn left in it. You should not cut thy in front of thy neighbor and upsetteth thee. That's the King James Version. So after two or three cars, Tracy's like, she's sitting beside me, Kyle's in the back, and she's reading something on her phone, and I'm just man, I'm just boiling. I'm like, what in the world's going these people? I'm, I'm, they're gonna get chips before me. I'm pulling up. There's one. There's two on the third one. I lost my Christianity. Because <laughs> the brother came right up beside me and cut right in front of me and was like, I got more insurance than you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I wanted to honk, but I had my South Crest sticker on the back. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to yell. In Jesus' name, get out of the line. Okay, I wanted to do all that. But man, yeah, you just feel me boiling. And my wife in her sweet, loving, tender, Jesus-like attitude says in a very loud voice, just be Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and I told her the moment she said it, I said, baby, that's a prophetic word. That's going to come out in a message. <laughs> Guys, here's the truth. We are blessed and we're cursed with comfort. We have so much comfort that when we go through something difficult in our life, we don't realize sometimes how apathetic we've become. Because what we really want is we want it all and we want it what? Now. We want it all and we want it now. I'll never forget one of the ladies in our church, she was telling me about a remodel she did in her kitchen and she said, I'm in my early 70s, I'm getting stainless steel. I said, that's awesome. She said, I've waited until I was in my 70s to get stainless steel. And she said, I've been watching all these shows and all these 20-somethings need stainless steel. We want it all. We want it now. And if we're not careful, it affects our apathy towards the world. If you don't believe this is true, go home today and the Wi-Fi's out in your house and see how excited you get. Right? A neighbor's tree could fall on your house. It's like we got insurance for that, but the Wi-Fi's down so hard. So how do we overcome apathy? Here's how we do it. We have to consistently expose yourself to things that create a righteous discomfort. Consistently. Everyone say consistently. Consistently expose yourself to things that create a righteous discomfort in your life. Consistently. A lack of consistency will create a lack of interest. So you have to force yourself and say, I am going to embrace what is righteously discomfort. I mean, what if in our life we sought more holy discontentedness instead of unholy comfort? We probably would make a greater difference in our life, but we've got to embrace righteous discomfort. It's the thing I love about Jesus, because Jesus, when he saw people who were hurting, he would walk up to them many times and he would heal them because Jesus was really good at comforting the afflicted. But I want to tell you this, Jesus was also really good about afflicting the comfortable. So don't get all excited like, oh, Jesus just loves everyone. No, no, no. Sometimes he walked up and said, boys, this ain't lasting. This ain't happening this way anymore. Let me tell you what it's going to be. He dropped some truth bombs. (laughs) Why? Because he cared more that people walked in righteousness than they did in comfort. How do you do that? How do do you get out of your comfortable? Let me give you some ideas. Go on a mission trip. Go somewhere where it's not about you for a week. Help someone with a recovery effort. Start serving somewhere in your community, in our church. Find somebody to mentor who can't give you anything back. And you start spending time with them and loving them. Pay it forward for them. Listen, start giving. Give till it hurts. Love till it hurts. Do it in such a way that you go, I am pushing myself consistently past the point of my comfort zone. Because here's what I know. It's often discomfort that creates the greatest amount of growth in our life, not comfort. In fact, I think the greatest discomfort is what brings the greatest innovation in our life. So lean into whatever makes you righteously uncomfortable. Paul was this way. Paul loved people. The Apostle Paul, when he met Christ, Jesus' love so radically changed him. In the book of Romans, he he explains his, his consistent exposure to righteous discomfort. Look what it says in the book of Romans chapter nine. This is Paul speaking. He said, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. And then look what he says. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. That's a righteous discomfort right there in my heart. Why? Because the internet was down? No. Because he couldn't get into Chewy's? No. Here, here's why. Look what he says. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. Paul was so burdened for his Jewish brothers to come to know Christ that he said, I'm in sorrow and I'm living in righteous discomfort. That's how you overcome apathy. You consistently expose yourself. The next one is this. you got to channel your passion. Everyone say channel your passion. Everyone in this room wants to make a difference. I truly believe that. The struggle is we have so many options that we try to do everything all the time. Let me say it this way. Focus on something, not everything, Put your focus on one thing. Some of you lead a life group and your sole focus is to lead the people of your life group so that you can reach your community for Christ. Go for it. Some of you are like, I work with Crest kids, man. I want to get involved in kids' lives and I want to channel my passion towards those kids. Do it. But here's the deal. Do your best not to think that you can do everything, but channel your passion towards the right thing. Rather than making a little difference in many things, choose to make a big difference in a few things. What is it that only you can do? And then do it with passion. Do it with passion. Do it with unapologetic passion. Do it to the point that people think you're a cult. He's crazy. She's, yeah, I know. But you know what? I'd rather be passionate than to be apathetic. Here's why. Apathy finds an excuse, but passion finds a way. Passionate people, they're unstoppable. You can't stop them. You can try to put things in their way. You can try to say, well, if we... Apathy finds an excuse, but passion finds a way. And then the third thing, you need to embrace what hurts. If we're going to overcome apathy, consistently expose yourself to righteous discomfort. Make the decision, make the decision that you're going to channel your passion and then embrace what hurts. Lean in to the pain. What Jesus said about this guy who traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho. He tells the rest of the story. says, but a Samaritan, who by the way would have been the lowest class of the lowest class, he'd have been the nobody. He wouldn't be on the hero list. He certainly wasn't up for the Heisman Trophy. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He was moved. He went to him and bandaged his wounds and put in oil and wine. That means he got in the mess. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. That would have been two whole days wages of money. It cost him something. It cost him something. Listen, if you're going to overcome apathy, it's going to cost you something. Don't think it's cheap. The shortcut's cheap. If you're going to live with passion, it's going to cost you something. Many times it's going to cost other people's opinions towards you, but it doesn't matter. So this guy here, two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper. He says, look after him, he said, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. I think this is amazing. Look at what he did. He got in the mess. It cost him something. And then he said, I'm going to leave him here and I'm going to come back and check on him. And if I owe you any more money, I will pay you whatever I owe you. know what I call that? I call that the extra mile. I call that embracing the hurt. And he embraced it so deeply that when the story was over, Jesus looked at the man who was the expert in the law and he asked this question. Which one of these men was a neighbor to the man? (laughs) The expert finally got to the real core. He said, well, the Samaritan was. And I love what Jesus said. Go and do likewise. In other words, stop talking, start acting. Go and do likewise. Hey, expert in the law, you can stay here and have your Bible study for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and learn how deep the laws of God are. You can put it all in a basket, and you can talk about the eschatological things in here and the theological things here and the hermeneutics of this and the homiletics of that. But the truth is, none of that matters, because at the end of the day, what God wants you to do to overcome apathy has nothing to do with you sitting in a room and learning knowledge. Go do it. Go and do likewise. Likewise. See, in our world, it's, I hear this a lot, it's easier not to care. Because if you get involved in the situation, it's gonna be messy and it's gonna cost you something. But listen, Jesus ran to the messes. How do you know that? Because Jesus ran to me. And I was a mess. So even though our world says it's easier not to care, I, I wanna give you this thought real quick. It's better to care and hurt Than to not care and live apathetically. In fact, I'd say it to you this way it's better to hurt with purpose than to exist without one. How do you overcome apathy? You gotta make this decision. I'm gonna hurt with a purpose. You see, as Americans, we wanna be rich with blessings, don't we? We want to have the best this and the best that and we want to have this the way we want it all the time and and we want to be rich with blessings. But what if we flip the script on that and what if we said, I want to be blessed with a burden because when I hurt with a purpose, my life will exist with a passion and I won't be apathetic anymore.